Al Jazeera podcast. Foreign ministers of the Southeast Asian ASEAN bloc have met in Jakarta and have been joined by top envoys from China, Russia and the US. What brought the visitors from afar? Who's looking for what and from whom? I'm Emily Angwin and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. All right, let's bring in our guests. In Singapore, Jai Ian Chong, an Associate Professor of Political Science at the National University of Singapore. In Washington, D.C., Shirley Yu, a Senior Visiting Fellow at the London School of Economics. And in Beijing, Aina Tangen, a Senior Fellow at the Tai He Institute. A very warm welcome to you all and thanks for joining us on the program. Um, Aina, I'm going to start with you. Just how relevant is ASEAN on a global stage today? Well, it's increasingly relevant because of its uh, growth. Uh, if you look at almost all indices, um, they are way, way ahead. Uh, they're part of this kind of larger China, um, Asian uh, economic bloc, not only through RCEP, but through the Belt and Road Initiative, which has been helping with uh, uh, infrastructure and things like that. So it, it's become a kind of an area of interest. Uh, the United States, the U.S. has been involved uh, 10 years after uh, ASEAN was created, but it was always seen as a strategic uh, issue. Now it's increasingly becoming economic. It has a very large trade uh, surplus with the U.S. And a lot of the goods that were previously coming directly from China China are actually now coming from ASEAN states. Uh, there are intermediate goods that are made in China, then mm. shipped, shipped there, but finished products are going out. So economically, uh, politically, obviously, uh, very relevant. Shirley, do you agree? Is ASEAN relevant today on a global stage? Absolutely. ASEAN is the world's uh, possibly most unassuming economic superpower. It is today about 3.4% of the global GDP on nominal terms. Uh, that is about three quarters of uh, the Japanese economy. But the economic scale is expected to quadruple by 2040. And that'll make it much larger than Japan in Asia and Germany in Europe. Quadrupling the economy was actually uh, Deng Xiaoping's idea at the initiation of China reform and opening up. And so the idea itself is uh, extremely bold and exciting. And I think it's fair to say that the global uh, growth opportunities really lies in South and Southeast Asia in the coming decades. Ian, your reaction? So I think there's a common confusion between Southeast Asia and ASEAN. Southeast Asia, the countries who are member states of ASEAN, certainly they have the economic attributes that were earlier described. However, if you're talking about ASEAN as a corporate actor, as an organization, um, it certainly lacks unity. It, it has a lot of trouble trying to put initiatives across. I mean, in the description uh, right at the front, we you know we heard how uh, President Jokowi, this year's ASEAN chair, Indonesia, saying that, well, they don't want to be put in a position of major power competition. Well, the positions that ASEAN put forward are in the passive, right? They don't want to do things. They they have a lot of trouble trying to put forward what they want. And this includes trying to deal with the uh, unfolding crisis in Myanmar. Yes, I want to break down all of those issues one by one throughout the program. But first of all, I guess my question to you, Ian, is then based on what you've just said, what is the biggest challenge for the bloc? I think the biggest challenge right now is really 
um, ASEAN unity, the different member states, uh, while they all broadly want um, economic gains, they broadly want stability, there is a lot of a lot more difference over how to achieve those ends um, and you know what might need to be sacrificed, uh, what what kinds of initiative needs to be taken. So the default sort of holding position is this sort of very passive uh, sort of we don't want to choose sides, we don't want this, we don't want that uh, that that we're seeing right now. So that inability to put forward an initiative to try to address whether it's the Myanmar issue, whether it's about trying to get the major powers uh, on the same page, uh, that I think is really what is a stumbling block for ASEAN at this point in time. I know I noticed that you were shaking your head there. So you don't agree the biggest challenge for the bloc is managing these escalating tensions potentially between the US and China? Well, I, I don't think it's ASEAN's job to uh, figure out how to get Russia, the United States and China together. Uh, that is going to be a very separate conversation. I do agree that it is uh, 10 members and they don't really agree. But I think it's wrong to put this uh, kind of Western gloss on uh, this particular organization. It is a consensus organization, not corporate. It's not like the UN where you get enough votes and you can pass things. This is a, a group that has to, sovereign states have to, to agree with each other. So they have been putting pressure on, on Myanmar, but they're not kicking them out. Uh, they're not putting you know big sanctions on them and things like this. What they're trying to do is bring them back into the fold. I think uh, with in most Asian countries, there's this feeling that you have to be patient that t tomorrow is another day and another day will follow that and things change invariably. So I, I don't think it's very useful to set deadlines and say, oh, well, you have to do this, that and the other thing. Uh, these are sovereign countries and they have to be respected. Ian, the summit so, has you know, condemned... I really don't agree with that. I really don't agree with that. I think uh, the, the, that may be the view from Beijing, but you know, Beijing does not have a monopoly um, on what is Asian, right? That is not the view from Beijing. That is a view, a cultural view. You're reflecting a view that's very I know, much I know. I'm just going to interrupt, you know, gentlemen, I'm just going to interrupt you there. I'm going to let Ian finish what he has to say and then Shirley can respond and then Ina, you can respond to that. So, Ian, please go ahead. So, like, I don't think it's um, ASEAN, you know, should has any role in managing USPRC relations. That's something up to the major powers, but it does have a role in putting forward its own plan. This doesn't have to be putting forward a deadline, but it does need some sort of plan to have a the five-point consensus that really, you know, doesn't incentivize or disincentivize for that matter, but a certain kinds of behavior is one of the reasons why we're seeing this dragging out of the Myanmar situation. I mean, that is the outcome. Shirley, did you want to respond? I agree that ASEAN faces both internal and external issues. Uh, yes, ASEAN is a loosely connected trade bloc. Uh, Inter-ASEAN trade and FDI inflow is uh, significantly higher than intra-ASEAN economic activities. So the bloc definitely needs uh, to expand internal trade investment, enable visa-free travels, and further integrate the regional supply chains, all of which will be crucial for its success. But uh, ASEAN is also not to be underestimated. Uh, let's recall the RCEP agreements. Because of ASEAN's unassuming power, China, Japan, and Korea were able to reach a free trade agreement, which otherwise would have been completely inconceivable given the historical hostilities. So ASEAN might surprise the world again, not just because of, yes, uh, seemingly, you know, the lack of political cohesion or ideological allegiance to one another, but really because of a coherent aspiration for a collective ASEAN rights. 
Aina, if I can just return to the Myanmar issue, issue, do you think that the summit has moved the needle at all when it comes to this continuing crisis in Myanmar? No, I, I don't think they have. I mean, the, the situation in Myanmar is, is fairly intractable uh, already. There's uh, a lot of scrutiny of uh, illegal oil uh, <clears throat> trades that are going on there. Uh, there are people who are taking advantage of the chaos once again to make money. Uh, but this idea that, uh, you know, nothing has been accomplished uh, by ASEAN, I shouldn't say that, that's uh, overstating it. But, you know, my, look at what they have accomplished, the RCEP, uh, the growth both in ASEAN is now the envy of the world. So this idea that, you know, it doesn't function and there's something wrong with it and it has to adopt a kind of Western value uh, approach, uh, you know, and, and set deadlines, I, I think is wrong. And, you know, obviously, uh, there's plenty of room to disagree. But you, you do have to look at the results. And at this juncture, the results are pretty good. You can't just isolate uh, uh, Mymar and say, look, you know, because they're not dealing with Mymar the way you want them to, therefore it's a failure. You have right. to look at the entire picture. Right now, it looks pretty good. One of the other pressing issues that was on the agenda was that ASEAN, ASEAN rather, and China on Thursday reaffirmed their commitment to speed up negotiations on that long-delayed code of conduct in the South China Sea. Ian, if I can ask you, why has this been dragged out and what impact, if any, will this code of conduct have on what happens in the South China Sea? So the code of conduct was initially uh, put forward as a way perhaps to govern behaviour on the South China Sea to avoid uh, escalation, to avoid uh, uh, tensions getting out of control. Now, uh, what the situation has sort of uh, develop into. I mean, this is one of the reasons why the negotiations has ha, have taken over have taken over what twenty years now. The basic point is that um, there is doubt uh, among ASEAN members, uh, and the degree of doubt will vary about whether China will keep to whatever commitments uh, it makes. And conversely, if they are held to commitments, uh, ASEAN members, that is, uh, they make they may be sort of overly hemmed in. Now, uh, on the on the PRC side, I suppose there is concern that you know if you have sort of rules that try to limit uh, what Beijing can do, uh, it may not, um, you know, uh, it may not have the sort of freedom of action it wants, especially as it uh, seeks to pursue its claims in the South China Sea and elsewhere. I mean, this is not like a, this is not a Western thing. Uh, you know, this view is, is coming from Southeast Asia. I'm the only person here uh, on this panel from Southeast Asia who, who engages ASEAN on it, uh, issues on a daily basis. So I think sometimes the perspective from outside of ASEAN can be quite different from the perspective inside ASEAN and perhaps some respect for how ASEAN members actually look at the issues could be useful. Um, Shirley, I'll take it over to you now. How important is ASEAN for nations like Vietnam and the Philippines who have long been having these territorial disputes with Beijing? How important is ASEAN for them? Uh, very interesting. Uh, if you notice, uh, recently with the escalating uh, territorial tension between uh, China and uh, these two ASEAN members you just mentioned, uh, I was uh, in Vietnam recently, and uh, if you look at uh, the transportation minister from Vietnam, who actually recently visited Beijing to uh, discuss uh, uh, bringing Chinese uh, high-speed rail networks to Vietnam. So the historical 
uh, tension uh, in a way between uh, China and the, the neighboring countries has always been there historically. At various points in history, uh, borders shifted between China and Vietnam. Uh, there were territorial disputes. And at some point in time, the, even the culture were homogenous. And so I think today the dominant discussion between China and these ASEAN member countries, it's still overwhelmingly uh, economic uh, uh, within the economic realm. And so if you were to look at uh, uh, the ongoing narratives, I, I don't think for for uh, the, the broader uh, Asia-Pacific region, it is going to be ter territorial disputes that will dominate the ongoing narrative in the 21st century. I think it'll be economic prosperity. What we've seen in, in recent weeks, recent months, more military bases being built in the Philippines and very public maritime displays. Ina, what are the implications of the US boosting its military might or its military alliances with ASEAN members? Well, obviously, uh, it's not welcome in Beijing, uh, but these are sovereign nations. They have the right to do that. Uh, the question is, are they going to open themselves to, up to some sort of, uh, you know, being involved as uh, basically uh, jumping off points for uh, another war? I mean, uh, surely everyone in uh, ASEAN remembers what happened in Vietnam and Laos, Cambodia, uh, even South Korea on the earlier parts, where uh, those areas were just basically used as uh, portable bases uh, to support U.S. troops. It didn't accomplish anything. Uh, South Korea is still in, in transition. Uh, Vietnam was lost and has found its own way. Um, now, I, I, I'm not trying to step on Ian's feelings. I didn't realize he spoke uh, for, um, you know, the ASEAN nations. I've had the privilege of knowing many of the ambassadors over the years from ASEAN uh, and also ministers. So uh, I, my perspective is perhaps skewed by the fact of what they've told me as opposed to what I've heard from him. Ian, did you want to respond? So, I mean, these are debates that we have in ASEAN uh, quite a bit. And... The view on you know what what you uh, how you look at ASEAN in the past, um, you know that there's some debate over it. So, for instance, uh, Cambodia, uh, Laos, and Vietnam uh, take issue with uh, the older ASEAN states siding with Beijing and Washington uh, uh, in against uh, Vietnam when it invaded, invaded Cambodia. But you know that is also seen by um, the ASEAN states that were sort of a party to uh, to the supporting of the. Um, um, the Cambodian coalition government that you know it helped stabilize the region, uh, that it helped create a situation where economic growth could happen. So uh, on on the issue of uh, improving uh, military and other ties with various states, not this is not just the U.S. A long-standing view that um, a number of ASEAN members, I won't say all, a number of ASEAN members take is that the more major powers getting involved in the region, uh, having a stake in the region, would encourage um, you know more would encourage these states to you know take a stand to preserve the region's stability, and it's on that stability um, that allows for prosperity to be built. So it's not that the economics is separate from the stability and the security; they are interlinked. Ian, Indonesia's president said ASEAN should not become a platform for conflict or a tool used by any nation. I want to move away slightly from the China-US tensions. So why is Russia there? So this is 
precisely um, what I was talking about. There's this view that having more major powers having a stake in the region uh, would be a good thing. So uh, the view is that if you get Russia in, uh, perhaps, you know, it would have a stake as well. And on the other, on the flip side of it, um, one of the other things that ASEAN likes to, uh, how it likes to see itself is as a convening power, right? It has a, a way of bringing different actors together. This is a way that the organization uh, bring uplifts itself and its importance, right? So it provides a platform for uh, states with dialogue partners, with uh, different interests, with different points of view to come, come together. Not that they would agree, not that they would necessarily find a solution, but that they keep talking. And from that conversation, perhaps, you know, ways forward can be found. Perhaps uh, pitfalls, uh, such as you know, further escalation, uh, can be avoided. So that's the point of inviting uh, Russia, even though I think ASEAN states there is some variation on the degree which they on which they support uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Surely, or, or oppose it for that matter. Yeah, surely, could ASEAN play a role, do you think, in brokering peace in Ukraine? Uh, I doubt uh, in Ukraine specifically, but in the broader Asian economic integration, I wouldn't uh, underestimate ASEAN's uh, potential power there. But uh, again, uh, to respond to your question, Emily, uh, we have to look at the fundamental um, feature of ASEAN. It is a collective of autocracies, democracies, uh, kingdom and the military government. So the common denominator for ASEAN 10 nations is political non-alignment. And today, I think, uh, I don't believe that the ASEAN nations will be siding with the US posited autocracy versus democracy global narrative. And I doubt that uh, ASEAN will be moving towards uh, de-risking China economically. And so it is, again, uh, because uh, its power lies in this very nature of non-political alignment. Ina, what is Moscow trying to achieve by its attendance, do you think? No, well, they're not. Uh, they're, it's called uh, desperation. Uh, they've been cut off from the West, uh, effectively. So they can't even use the banks. So they are looking to uh, open up uh, additional trade. Singapore is opposing them um, and has made it very clear that uh, uh, they're concerned about the U.S. concerns in, in Ukraine. Hence, they're, they're right. Uh, but they would like to have uh, local settlements uh, in, uh, I mean, settlements in local currencies. And they, uh, you know, it's just, when you have nowhere else to go, you go to where things are. And right now, ASEAN is a hotspot. Uh, obviously, there are opportunities for Russia. They're thinking that because of the increased uh, number of people that are expected there, that there'll have to be more uh, machinery. Uh, Russian machinery is uh, fairly inexpensive. Uh, also, there'll be energy needs. So they're looking at the opportunities long term, although uh, their total um, uh, trade right now is, is fairly mediocre. Ian, how do you think ASEAN should evolve going forward? What, what will we be discussing this time next year? So, I mean, a lot of what uh, happens at these uh, foreign ministers' meetings uh, is, you know, depends on what happens in the rest of the world. But I think ASEAN itself, if you look at the uh, joint statement that was put out, it does uh, want to emphasize uh, on strengthening e e the economy and economic cooperation, both within ASEAN and outside of ASEAN. Um, it is also talking about ways to improve intra-ASEAN coordination. Um, it is consensus-based, but there, there are, I think, uh, I think, still areas to be gained in terms of making coordination smoother, getting ASEAN to see things, um, you know, uh, on a sort of, be on the same page more quickly. So those are things I, I think that ASEAN uh, leaders are currently grappling with. This has come up time and time again, uh, and I think they will continue past Indian Indonesia's chairmanship this year. Shirley, the same question to you. 
I, th I think ASEAN is uh, well positioned to capitalize on the best of both worlds uh, between now and uh, perhaps the coming couple of decades. Today, we're seeing uh, two of the world's uh, largest economies uh, increasingly moving their supply chains, manufacturing technology, and with a talent pool to the region, uh, the U.S. initiated uh, IP, IPEF, uh, the Indo-Pacific Economic Partnership, which just completed the supply chain agreements. And uh, with the ongoing RCEP agreements, uh, which deeply brings ASEAN closer to continental Eurasia. And so we are seeing essentially where else in the world do we have a region that are essentially the darling of uh, two largest uh, uh, global economies at the same time. And so I think uh, uh, to maximize this economic opportunity and to really uh, develop a quintessential supply chain that will continue to bring economic prosperity, uh, stabilize global inflation uh, for the world, uh, that will be essential. And Ina? Well, I think Wudogo put the put the nail on the head, which is quite frankly, uh, it's about security issues. And what I mean by that is outside entities trying to inject uh, their agendas into uh, the ASEAN area. Now, I do agree that China has to be more creative than doing tit for tat with uh, great powers like the United States or Europe. Uh, they're going to have to figure out some way of getting around it. And uh, you know, the South China Sea issue is a major one. If that were to be settled. All right, there would be a, a quick cooling down of, of the temperatures there because it would no longer be in play. Any uh, attempt by the U.S. to try to insert itself um, militarily or for security reasons would be rebuffed because they say, why? Uh, we're not, we don't have any threats. Why are you here? Uh, and that, I think, would be uh, relieve a tremendous amount of tension, not only for China, but for ASEAN and the entire world. Ian, just some final thoughts from you. We only have two minutes left of the program, and then quickly to Shirley. So I think uh, moving ahead on the South China Sea issues would be good. I think in that case, if uh, China would uh, agree to abide by UNCLOS, something it's uh, signed and ratified, I think that would be a great move forward. I mean, one of the ways that we can look at that is through the arbitral tribunal uh, process that, that you know Philippines have brought, that it had been ruled in favor of the Philippines. That's one place to start um, to avoid uh, using the sort of uh, musc muscle that it has uh, on smaller actors. I think that would be very much appreciated in this part of the world as well. Shirley? Uh, China just agreed with ASEAN on the non-aggression pact on seafood uh, to be completed within three years or less. But the, the pact also proposes that it will restrict uh, foreign uh, activities and uh, uh, presence in the, uh, you know, in the regional waters. And so I think it's going to be a hard negotiation ahead. But if we were to look at the, the just concluded NATO summit, the communique also stated that the PRC mm. challenges uh, its interests, security, and values. And it's interesting that we note uh, interest comes before security and before values. And if we talk about, we're talking about NATO here. So I think uh, that really reflects a current understanding globally uh, that uh, economic prosperity is a part of the broader national security narrative. And so it's really not just the military spat per se that sure. aggravates China and other region. It is really uh, the, you know, the, the restrictions, the suppression, circumvent and containment as a Chinese president Xi talked about that aggravates China. Shirley, thank you very much. Aina, you've got 30 seconds left for your final thoughts. 
<laughs> well, you know, let, let's hope that this works out. I mean, the, the, the issue here in ASEAN is uh, a lot of it is about these security issues. But I, I do think you have to respect what ASEAN has done uh, and has accomplished, as we have talked about here. And I don't think that it's a, you're, you're going to take this legalistic uh, point of view where you can force other nations to do something. If that were true, the United States would not be, the, by definition, a rogue state because it breaks treaties, it starts wars, and it's in violation of the U.S. NSW uh, sabotaging the WTO. Uh, right now, we need to build trust. And that, that is what uh, is happening in Southeast Asia, is that there's trust being built because they are cooperating. And I, hopefully that that trust will be the basis of finding peace in the region uh, that allow, as uh, Shirley has said, uh, prosperity for everybody. Well, it's certainly a complex region with many moving parts, and we appreciate all your thoughts on this and your analysis. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you to Jia Ian Chong, Associate Professor of Political Science, Shirley Yu, a Senior Visiting Fellow, and Ina Tangen, a Senior Fellow at the Tai He Institute. Thank you. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Sarah Hairat, Nicholas Pierce, and Jim Gilchrist. Studio sound was by Hasib Hashmi. The program was edited by Venish Velilet, Khaled Sultan, and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch up on every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next edition. This week on The Take, a new cricket league is coming to America. But winning over U.S. fans might be the biggest test yet. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.